Welcome, family. This is Apostle Corey Douglas. I greet you in the name of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome to another Bible study on the book of Romans. Praise God. We are about to proceed. We're going to pick up on Romans chapter 1, verse number 4. Again, we're in Romans chapter number 1, verse number 4. And the text reads, And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Okay? Now, what we have is, if you notice, if just take a visual glance. If you look at the first seven verses of the book of Romans, you don't see a period until the seventh verse, which means that everything that's stated in verse one through seven is all connected. And so every preceding verse is building upon what was stated in the previous verse. So this is all one thought. It's all one statement. It's all one, uh, you can say, venue, a message of communication. So even though we're going verse by verse, you need to, you know, just expand your thinking to think verse 1 through 7. The Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is seeking to communicate a thought or a message in its entirety, okay? And you won't really understand the message just verse by verse uh, because the period does not come until verse number 7, okay? With that being said, verse 4 builds off of verse 3. Now, in verse 3, we establish that Jesus Christ is Lord, but according to the flesh, he was of the seed or of the bloodline or the lineage of King David. Okay? And so we talked about his divine nature as being the son of God from the foundation, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, existing with the father before the world was. And we also see that in verse number three, he was made of the seed of David, which means that there was a process. Uh, someone uh, masterfully, uh, premeditatively designed and orchestrated this, and we know that that someone was God the Father, uh, who it was in his heart and in his bosom to send his son to die for humanity. And in the book of Hebrews, the Bible is clear that God the Father created for the son a body. Uh, a flesh and blood, a human body okay, that was in the heart of God. So in verse 4, it says, and declared to be the son of God with power. So verse 3 emphasizes that he was made of the seed of David according to his natural uh, disposition or according to the flesh. But verse 4, and declared to be the son of God with power. Okay. Now, let's explain what this actually means and the implication behind this. This is so important, the declaration of his, not just divinity, but that he is the Son of God. First of all, uh, it was not widely or easily accepted uh, that God himself would even have a son in the Jewish community in that time. Um, not only that, you know, most people who believed in the existence of God did so from a non-relational standpoint uh, as creator, as sovereign power, or as 
uh, he who would, you know, uh, uh, ward off uh, pestilence or disease or catastrophe or he who would heal the land, okay? Most of the people that existed in that time viewed the reality of God from a functional, operational perspective and mindset. And so when Jesus comes on the scene or as the gospel is preached and taught, and Paul begins to bear, written, bear record that Jesus Christ himself uh, is the Son of God or he was declared to be the Son of God, that's a big statement because that is signifying relational intimacy with God, okay, which it, it was something for the human mind to wrap its mind. How can the creation have an intimate relationship and be jointly tied with the creator? I mean, how can, you know, how can one be made, okay, Creation is made. It is the making of a creator. And how can one also be born of at the same time? Think about that, okay? God created us, okay? We're created flesh and blood, but then we're also born of him. So he made us and he birthed us. And so it was, it was hard for the natural mind to think, okay, there, it, it doesn't make sense to be made and, and begotten at the same time, okay? You're the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the Bible records, okay? And so this was hard for them to wrap their mind around. Are you saying that you came from God or that you were born of God? And if you were born of God, how can we know your mother on the earth whose name is Mary, okay? And so, you know, it was a mind boggler, okay? But Jesus Christ, both made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and also the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, okay, uh, walked in both realities. In other words, he was legally and authentically made and begotten of God and born of God, the only begotten of the Father. It says, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Now, verse 4 I want you to think about this as we study. The spirit of holiness is a phrase that is bearing witness to his, him being the son of God. Let me explain. Remember the thought pattern right here. In verse 3, it says that he was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So when Paul makes reference to the spirit of, of holiness okay, in this particular verse, he is speaking concerning the Son, his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. I want you to think about that statement. Concerning his Son, whose Son? God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So think divinity. Now I want you to think concerning his Son, Jesus Christ. Now look over to verse 4, and I want you to connect that with the spirit of holiness. And then I want you to look back at verse 3. And look at made of the seed of David according to the flesh. And I want you to connect that with the resurrection from the dead. Because this verse 4 is bearing witness to the two things that were stated in verse 3. And just giving further insight and expounding and giving more understanding. Now let's go a little deeper in that to explain. Now let's deal with the first part. Okay, His divinity or him, him being the, his son Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay. 
the reason that that is a, such a connection to the spirit of holiness is because the, the Hebrew people were familiar with the command of God in the Torah in the Old Testament of God saying, be ye holy, for I am holy. Okay? Be ye holy, for I am holy. And so many scriptures in the Old the Lord thy God is holy. Okay? And so when we look at that, they understood that holiness in and of itself existed or had its origin only in God himself, okay? And in other words, that God the creator, his nature is holy. His nature is holiness, okay? And so because God's nature is holiness, and holiness cannot be found in mankind or in creation apart from God. It means that the exclusive reality of holiness is contained in him, is defined in him. And so when there's a declaration that Jesus is the Son of God with power, listen to this, according to the spirit of holiness, this was a declaration to say that the nature that is in the Son, which is holiness, is the same nature that is in God the Father or the creator of all, which is holiness. Okay? Declared to be the Son of God. And so this was a barren record or the holiness that Jesus walked in was a witness and was a testimony to the religious leaders, to all of creation, and also to the gates of hell, that he was the Son of God and that he is the Son of God with power. Well, you say, well, how do we know? Because he shared or he was a partaker of the self-same holiness that existed in God himself. Okay, So his nature and God's nature were one and the same. And because his nature and God's nature were one and the same, and those two natures could not be found anywhere else, it meant that they had relational ties to each other. Okay? And so it says, and declare to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. Now this is so vital, you guys, because what you'll find scripturally, and if you can, you can search it out, that wherever you find purity or holiness or consecration, uh, sacredness or, or the set-apartness or the sanctity of God himself, you will also find his power. Declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. And if you do a word search, and if you go back to uh, Acts chapter 3, uh, just in your own spare time, you'll find that there was a lame man that was at the gate beautiful, Peter and John came around about the time of prayer uh, to the gate, and they saw the man begging for alms and at the gate. And, uh, you know, Peter looked on him and told him to fasten his eyes on him. And he told him, such as uh, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto you. And he told him, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he grabbed him. And, of course, the Bible said that the man leaped, and he was excited and began to praise God because he was healed and he was made whole. But what's also stated in there is that the people were so excited that a miracle had happened 
that they begin to, um, you can say, in a very uh, out of out of order way, reverence Peter and John. In other words, they begin to venerate them or to give them the glory and to give them the credit. Uh, and Peter made this statement. He said that it is not by our own power or holiness that this man is made whole standing before you, but it is in the name of Jesus and the power in his name that this man stands before you everywhere whole. But the two things that, interestingly, that Peter referred to as synonyms, synonyms mean interchangeable words that are one and the same, Peter used holiness and power to refer to the same thing. In other words, he said that it is the holiness of God that performed this miracle that healed this man. Or he could have said it is the power of God that performed this miracle or healed this man. Because wherever the true power of God is, you will find his holiness also there with it. And wherever the holiness of God is, it will not be without his power being present as well. Okay, There's power in holiness. And listen, there is holiness in true power that comes from God. And it says, and declared to be the Son of God, and those two things are distinct from God himself that are exclusive to his nature as well as his person. So and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, that he was holy, that he lived holy, that he operated holy, that he walked holy that he lived a set-apart, consecrated life could not be denied uh, by anyone, okay? And so he walked in the nature of God the Father as a man, okay? In other words, the seed of David, the son of man, uh, as a man, he exemplified God-like holiness. Let me say that again. As a man, the son of man, exemplified godlike or kingdom like other realm like purity holiness character nature and lifestyle and declared to be the son of god with power according to the spirit of holiness now i have to say this because i i don't um let me just sew this in it is the holiness of God that you and I walk in that sets us apart from the world. Okay. It's not necessarily what, what we say. It's not how we look. It's not how we dress. It's not how much money we have, how much money we don't have. It's not anything. What sets you and I apart from the rest of the world is our nature. Okay. It is the nature of Christ that dwells within us, the nature of Christ that oozes out of us, that becomes the witness that, that we're set apart, that we're set apart not by, uh, we're set apart by holiness. We're set apart by our nature, by our ways, by our character, by the spirit that we carry and that we walk in. And it is distinctive and it is distinguishable, okay? It, it is the light that you and I have. It is the spirit of holiness. It is the nature and the character of Christ. Okay. And so just as they could point to Jesus and they could see that he was different 
by the way that he lived and carried himself and also by the essence and the nature of spirit that emanated from him. Okay, People can and should also be able to look at us as believers, our morals, our values, the way we carry ourselves, and also just by, you know, some people say the aura, I would say the presence that you and I, we carry and that we reflect and exemplify wherever you are, wherever we go, holiness can be seen, heard, and felt. Okay. Okay. Declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now, this last phrase, by the resurrection from the dead, is a direct buildup from him being of the seed of David according to the flesh because it was the human side of Jesus that was resurrected. And the human side of him was of the seed of David, okay, according to natural lineage. So there were two things that distinguished him and that bore witness that he is the Son of God, the holiness that he walked in, okay, and the power, okay, that he walked in, the signs and wonders and miracles, in addition to the resurrection, okay, him being raised from the dead, okay, or him being born as a man, but being raised eternal, okay, according to the flesh of the seed of David. Now, the resurrection is so vital and it's so important because it really bears witness to the spirit of holiness. You say, well, how? Because had Jesus sinned or had he given in to any temptation to sin, then he would have been in the same category that Adam was in when Adam transgressed in the garden. Let me explain. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam sinned, he was forbidden. Matter of fact, he was excommunicated from the garden. And a cherubim was placed over the garden to guard it. And a flaming sword of fire. And specifically, if you go and you look at, if you read that chapter and that, you know, that section very closely, you'll find that the Godhead is having a conversation with each other. Okay? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And at the end, the father makes the determining factor that Adam did not have a right to eat of the tree of life, and neither would he allow him to eat of that tree as long as he had the nature of sin within him. Because had he allowed sin, uh, Adam, to eat of the tree, after he had transgressed, then sin would have been in power forever. God never intended for sin or that which kills and destroys man, a transgression, to exist forever. He had a way to eradicate it. My point for saying that is that if Jesus would have sinned, he would not have had a right to live eternal. Okay? If he had a sin as a man or a, even as being of the seed of David, if he had sinned in his mind and his thoughts and his actions and his deeds, then there could not have been any resurrection from the dead on his behalf. Okay? And so the very fact that he had a legal right in the courts of heaven 
to be raised from the dead pointed to his purity as well as his victory over sin. It also pointed to the victory of the spirit of holiness that he walked in as well. Because if he had not succeeded in perfecting the spirit of holiness, then there would not have been no not there would not have been a premises for the resurrection from the dead. Okay, so one sin committed in his natural body would have disqualified him from being resurrected. Okay, or being and resurrection is more than just the raising up of the body. What happens is is that you know in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As that was going on, he was also, as a man, being sealed or given or becoming the author of eternal life. Okay. And so, matter of fact, the scripture is clear that when he was raised, he was raised once and for all to die no more. Okay. Now, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now, when it comes to the gospel and the hope of the gospel and what you and I have to look forward to, um, there's so many, everything points to the resurrection. Everything good that you and I, uh, we have the privilege, we have the right, we have access to, we have the promise of, things present, things to come. It's all connected to the resurrection from the dead. Of Jesus Christ. Okay. Verse 5. It says, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Okay. Now, of course, this is the Apostle Paul talking, and so we have to look at this in context. And he speaks about Jesus Christ. He says, By whom we have received grace. Now, this is so vital because John chapter 1, the writer of John tells us that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, just as the resurrection from the dead points to victory over sin, victory over death, victory over hell, victory over grave, victory over the powers of darkness as well, okay? Okay. All of those things that I just named, Jesus Christ is the author of in his resurrection. And so right after that, Paul begins to, in verse number five, he begins to lean toward the thought of you and I benefiting from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the first word that he uses to describe you and I benefiting from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, number one is reception or being able to receive. Okay? And if you're listening out there, I want you to say that out loud that I have to be able to receive the benefit of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? This is so simple but yet so challenging at the same time because we're so used to having to do things and having to earn things and having to work for things and having to be proven worthy of receiving certain things or securing certain things. 
But the first thing that Paul begins to deal with is our ability to receive grace, or as he wrote when it came to his apostleship, he said, by whom we've received grace. This is so vital, you guys, because it is a revelation of the grace of God that kept the apostle Paul so humble. Okay. As much as we praise him, we could never get him to praise himself because he has a revelation of the grace of God. Okay. And when we understand that, it is the grace of God that calls us, that prepares us, that forgives us, that qualifies us, that saves us, that empowers us, and that strengthens us and feeds us through to the end. Okay. And then when we look at the fact that there was no grace extended to us until Jesus died and that he is the author of grace, then it all points back to him in the beginning and in the end. Okay? Grace is given to you and I as a result of his resurrection. And you and I have to learn how to effectively receive grace. Okay? The Apostle Paul says, by whom we have received grace and apostleship. And what he's saying through this statement is that there's nothing that he possessed in and of himself that qualified him for his calling. There's nothing that he possessed as a man that was the key to making him successful as an apostle. There's nothing that, that he walked in, that he learned, that he owned, that he developed, or that he experienced uh, that made him more apt and more ready, or you can say worthy of the calling, or that gave him the edge to be able to do the things that God did through him. He points it all back to the grace of God and his willingness and obedience to receive that grace. And you and I must do the same. By whom we have received grace, say that with me, grace and apostleship. Okay, he makes a distinction here. Now, there's something very powerful here because many of you that are on this line, you're familiar with what it is to have a calling, what it is to be have a calling to the nations, the calling as a prophet, the calling as an apostle, calling as a teacher, the calling as a worship leader, the calling as an intercessor, the calling in whatever area God has called you to. Okay, And we focus on the calling of God because we know that our purpose and destiny is tied into our calling, and through this calling or fulfilling this calling is the purpose that you and I were created. But there's one thing that you have to do before you focus on the office or the established function that God has created you to do. Before you focus on the apostleship, the pastoral, or the teaching, the mentoring, the counseling, the discipling of whatever that office is, the primary thing that you have to do before you can even go there and properly, keyword, properly relate to whatever it is that God has called you to and whatever word that he's spoken over your life, the first thing that you have to do is that you have to learn how to receive grace. Okay? You have to learn how to receive, to properly relate to the grace of God. Listen, Mentally, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, physically, 
you have to eat, breathe, consume, and and become absorbed until self is no more in the grace of God. You have to be good company with grace, and grace has to be good company with you. You can't be uneasy around grace, and grace cannot should not be frustrated with you. Okay, the Bible says, "Let us not frustrate the grace of God." For if righteousness came by the law, Christ has died in vain. So again, you should not be uneasy with the grace of God, and when grace is in your presence, it should not be frustrated with how you're acting and how you're responding. You have to be in good relations with grace because it is in your proper right relations and knowing how to truly, fully, and completely receive grace, that healing, freedom, deliverance, empowerment, wholeness, brokenness leaves, restoration comes, you know, it, you know, everything changes right there, and that's when all things are made new. And so before God can move us into apostleship or move us into the calling on your life, he has to first and foremost make the son or daughter whole again. And that wholeness comes through you and I receiving properly the grace of God. Praise God. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you. Praise God. I want to thank you for joining again uh, in this Bible study in the book of Romans. I pray that what was shared, that it brought some light, some help, some encouragement, some empowerment, and that it whets your appetite to press in further to the Lord Jesus Christ and also his word of God in order to know him more. Praise God. Praise God. Through the will of God, praise God, we will, um, we will continue to do this study. The next study will be again on Friday at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Lord willing, God bless you. Grace and peace with you. be with you. Love you in Jesus' name and have an awesome day.